Score, the podcast. The only show taking you inside the studios of the world's most celebrated composers and musical storytellers. Presented by Spitfire Audio. I'm Kenny Holmes. He's Robert Kraft. Yes, I am. Composer Carol on the mic. Hey there. <laughs> this is Score the Podcast presented by Spitfire Audio. We have a great show today. Emmy-winning composer Mac Quayle. You know his work from Mr. Robot, American Horror Story, American Crime Story, Pose. And Pose, which I've been watching and just amazed by the show so and the music. So Mac will be joining us in just a bit, uh, but we want to get to a couple of things. First off, Hildur Goodnadotter's score for Joker is out. I am not listening to it until I see the movie. I, I don't want to spoil anything. Have you guys listened to it? I haven't, and I think that's a really cool idea. I'm going to wait till I see the movie, too. Because I, I feel I like be tempted. I want to I want to see it <laughs> married wait. with the picture. I kind of do this a lot, actually. I avoid listening to score releases because I feel like they were made to be married to the picture. Nice. And I can fall in love with the score after I see it, but I, I don't like to spoil it because I want to go in fresh. Also, there's sometimes there used to be a big kind of voodoo around seeing the titles of cues would give away plot points. You know, Joker gets killed would be a terrible... <laughs> I don't think they name them like that anymore, though. <laughs> um, but they want to be really careful about how they title them if they're going to put it out in front of the movie. But I'm with you. I'm going to see the movie and then listen to Hilder's, I'm sure, amazing score. You know, there's some cool documentaries in the marketplace right now, too, which I'm excited to see. Many of them have been out in the last few weeks, but there's a, a new one about Linda Ronstadt, which... Um, has gotten incredible reviews. My great friend John Boylan, um, who worked with Linda, he he worked on that one. Also, there's one called Where's My Roy Cohn, which has uh, Liz Gallagher as the music supervisor. She's excellent, and of course that one's going to be a barn burner. Scored by Lauren Balf. Yep, scored by our great friend Lauren Balf. Uh, there's also a, um, a cool one coming up called Miles Davis, Birth of the Cool. I mean, just a title like that, I got to see it. I was going to say, these are like the, the documentaries curated for Robert coming out they, in the all next of couple them, of weeks. Including also another one which I read about, which is the story of Frank Zappa. I think I'm going to be spending a lot of time looking at documentaries this fall. And uh, this Friday, Joker. Can't wait. It's it's. I mean, it won the Venice... Yeah, audience award, Correct. and it's just been killing it. Hilder's on fire. She won the Emmy. Um, I, I, there's so much buzz around this movie. I just I can't can't wait to watch it. I think it's going to be the biggest movie of the fall. Um, we want to take a second to remind our listeners uh, about our presenting partner, Spitfire Audio. If you're a composer listening, you probably already know about Spitfire, but they create sample libraries with all different types of instruments. Um, and they're recorded at Air Studios to help elevate your music. And um, we have a special promo code for our listeners. If you use the promo code SCORE at SpitfireAudio.com, you save a third off the price of uh, whatever you're purchasing. Such and, a deal. Yeah. And they, they, they have a Hans Zimmer Strings package. They have the Bernard Herrmann Estate package um, where they partnered with uh, some different big-name composers. And um, the new package that comes out later this month the BBC Symphony package, which um, is pretty, that's their biggest thing, and um, it's its a big deal, and you can pre-order that now. I think that, listen, having the BBC Orchestra under your fingertips as a composer kind of can't go wrong, and for... I can't wait for that. Composer Carol says, <laughs> quote, I can't wait for that, end quote. I think that's a, a t-shirt. 
<laughs> Get your Spitfire packages. Yeah, and uh, stick around after today's episode. We're going to play you a cue that they provide to us. That shows all the different types of instruments you can get in uh, different Spitfire packages. And um, again, coming up just after the break, we have Matt Quayle here. I'm super excited. I know you love Pose. I'm all about Mr. Robot. I and, love uh, Mr. Robot. Yeah. One of my favorite shows. And the new American Horror Stories out. And um, we're going to break down his new uh, theme, the new main title theme for American Horror Story. Um, that's uh, all 80s, which I'm excited to uh, chat with Mac about. Also, don't forget about The Politician starring Ben Platt, who I saw on Broadway. That's the oh, new yeah. Ryan Murphy show. On Netflix, uh, yeah. And Mac scores that as well. Just came out. Yeah, so a uh, lot to get to with Mac Quayle. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we'll get to it. Hey, Matt Schrader here, director of SCORE, of film music documentary. For the latest news from the film music world, follow us on Facebook. Just search SCORE, a film music documentary. Or let us know who you want to hear next on the show on Twitter, at ScoreThePodcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back. We're here with Emmy winning composer. He's been super busy. A lot of things coming up. Mac Quayle joining the show today. Mac, thank you for having us here. Very exciting because... He looks stunned at the amount of audience we have. I didn't think we could get that many people in the studio. It's, 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 a, it's a big it's a room. Big crowd. Hey, did we ever ask, do you have a fabulous name for your studio? You know. <laughs> I think you're about to make one up. <laughs> Are we going to get the it, exclusive naming rights right here? Stay tuned. Max Burp, Burp Studio? Burp Studio. <laughs> we were just having a weird conversation about a soda that should be called Burp. Thank you. Did we name the studio? Uh, it, maybe it's it. going to have to be Burp Studios now. No. That would be really funny I don't think so. if that stuck. Uh, we've been just calling it Briar, which is the name of the street. Thank but, you. Um, Briar Studios. Yeah, it's it's a little boring. You probably don't want to put that out there anyway. <laughs> you might have some guests. <laughs> well, it's in it's in Montana. So oh, good. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we are. It's a beautiful day in Bozeman. <laughs> a beautiful day in Bozeman, isn't it? Big sky. <laughs> Mac, it's a pleasure to be here. Needless to say, you're scoring many of. My favorite shows, and just uh, you know, having an incredible run of wonderful, wonderful music out there, and a lot of very different music, which is something yeah we both been talking about. Which is stylistically, you have this incredible range, and I think our first question was, did you start just? I know you started in records, if I'm not mistaken, and and doing electronic music. And can you tell us a little about? how that started and how it morphed into film scoring. It it was records and it was a time when they were called records. I love that. There were records. Um, before I, my time, but I, still, I like hearing about yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I barely remember it, but um, I was in New York city and I, I took an internship at a recording studio. Mm, which one? Um, it was called D and D recording. Mm. Uh, it became somewhat famous uh, as a hip-hop studio like years after i wasn't mm -hmm. working there anymore but i had um one of the quickest internship turning into 
beginning of music career maybe ever in the history of internships. Nice. Um, and I became a programmer and keyboard player on recording sessions. And this is now, this was like in the late 80s. And um, I found myself making dance music. And you said it was quick because the the day that you started, you were making records or they put you right to work? Well, I, the, you know, the day I started, I was like emptying the trash cans and making coffee. And uh, I started talking with the owner, um, told him I was really into keyboards and synthesizers. And he goes, oh, well, you have to meet <laughs> the guy next door. Who there was a guy that rented a space from them, and he had a room filled with keyboards, mm. synthesizers, samplers, which at that time was was a little bit rare. Mm. You know, this was I think eighty seven, and um, so they introduced me to him. We hit it off, and I just immediately shifted from my internship at the recording studio to being an assistant working with him, and he just turned me loose in this room, and I it was like a playground of toys. And the next thing I know, I'm like doing sessions. Were you showing him your abilities or were you just really interested and he saw like maybe this guy has something? I, I guess that's what it, what it is. I, I'm not sure I would have turned someone loose in my room had I had one. But uh, yeah, I, I had a little knowledge and he just, he saw that, he turned me loose and I just started using the gear and learning it. And he's like, oh, okay, I guess you're ready. Let's, I've got a client coming in and why don't you help them and what would that be like was the client an artist from a on a label and you'd make a you'd be writing songs and making records or were was it advertising stuff um they were uh they were artists um i'm trying to think what the first one for some reason there's a lot of reggae artists that came through that studio and they were making reggae using drum machines and keyboards and and then they would sing and play guitars and um, so I would program for them. I would like run the technology while they were making a song. Fantastic. And, um, and that was, those were my first sessions. And, uh, I, I toiled for a year or so. I worked on a lot of records that you never would have heard of. And I don't even know if they came out. And then I kind of had this moment where I was discovered by a dance producer hmm. um, named Tony Moran, and and he had a a group, it was a duo called the Latin Rascals. Oh yeah, Latin and, Rascals. And they were making music that was very popular in New York, Miami, and Los Angeles. It was called Latin hip hop. And um, I did a session with him, and and a couple of hours into the session, he's literally jumping up and down smacking me on the back. You're the new guy. You're the new guy. And then sure enough, like I just was now working every day and he passed me around to other producers in the scene. And, and the next thing you know, this like kid from Virginia is making Latin hip hop. Is, is this like <laughs> reggaeton? How would you describe the music? No, it's, um, it was kind of a mixture of, you know, the, the beat was a, a, a influenced by hip hop. But it, but it wasn't as funky, hmm. and uh, there was it was all electronic. There was like synthesizers, sequencers, um, rapping and, in English or and, Spanish, and not rapping, singing. Oh, singing! Yeah, it was sure. very poppy, very poppy. Always a pop hook, um, and there were songs that were making it into the top ten. There was a, a you know a handful: the Cover Girls, Noel, hmm. Sapphire. These artists that were all really big at that time. 
And at that point, do you remember, were you thinking, this is my career, I'm making records in New York City, uh, and was film scoring on the horizon? Were you looking through the glass of the recording studio thinking, boy, I'd love to see an orchestra there? What what was the transition out of that moment? It, it really wasn't an idea at that point, hmm. no. And um, I... I did my thing in the music business with sort of ups and downs for the next uh, 87 till 2004. So Mm -hmm. I had like a 17 years of it in New York and um, Latin hip hop fell by the wayside. House music became the thing. And I teamed up with various DJs and made a lot of, uh, records doing remixing pop stars, taking Madonna and Whitney Houston and and other people and turning them into into dance floor anthems, mm. um, and and that all rolled along until uh, 2003, and the music industry was starting to sort of implode. Yeah, it was I was going to say this trouble. is like Napster and all the illegal downloading and LimeWire. LimeWire. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, that that had been eating away at the music business for about 3 years at that point. And um I'd been on a on a pretty great run and now all of a sudden it was like somebody flipped a switch mm. and the work was gone. Mm. And so I'm thinking, "Hmm, okay, maybe maybe it's time to do something else." And I set my sights on Los Angeles with, with still just a vague idea about scoring. It wasn't really like, I'm going to go out to Los Angeles and become a film composer. Um, and I, I moved out here in 2004 and started sniffing around and uh, still did some music business work. But um, Was film music something you were aware of? like growing up, or was this even was this just a brand new idea to you in 2004? I, I was aware of it. I mean, I wasn't super tuned into it but um i i certainly uh paid attention and i'm thinking like do you do you recall any sort of like noticing a score and being like wow that's that's unique maybe it wasn't orchestral as much but something that caught your eye or ear i should say i'm thinking one of the one of the first scores that that i really noticed was jaws and i thought that motif it's just a good like, start. Yeah. But when I noticed it, like I wasn't really thinking about motifs and it just was like, oh, that sound, that's really great. It just really worked. Um, I but, think what's great about this is, as you can imagine, we hear really, the world divides in some ways into the composer that at five years old, they knew they were going to, you know, they heard Star Wars and that set their sights. Back or to the future. Right, I'm going to be a film composer. Their dad brought home the score for some, you know, for Jaws, and they listened. And your story, which is this kind of reinvention and evolution that shows that you can approach this world from a number of different starting points. And look, I don't know if there's a better or a worse, because you see the amount of work you've done and you're doing Clearly, the talent came through, and you, I mean, what's always curious to me is at 2004, you know, film scoring is very different from, I'm just going to go in a studio and make a record. You're working with someone else, and that way it's maybe the same as being a producer, but you are scoring someone else's project. So, was that an easy transition, and where was the first moment that you actually wrote something to picture, and how did that come about? Well, it was a slow transition. Um, I mean, I think the the, the very first um, 
thing that I scored, uh, like a film, an indie film was in 2005. Um, and I, I did a, a terrible job. Lovely. It was terrible. Now, is this is this your opinion? No, it's my. I, or did it, did everyone feel that way? Um, no one said that, but I just yeah, I, my attitude was bad. <laughs> I didn't do. I didn't know what I was doing. And other than that, and you know, so I yeah, you gotta you gotta make some mistakes first sure. and get get those out of the way. Yeah. Um, but uh, then. Like the the first kind of real what I consider the real scoring that I started doing was like a year later I got hired by Michael Levine to um, do additional composing for him on a show called Cold Case. Mm. I know Michael, and uh, Michael's great, and yeah. he uh, he I got a response from him sending him a, a demo reel, which is like you never get when you send a demo reel. Usually you never hear anything sure. back, <laughs> but he called me the next day. He's like, Oh my God, this is amazing. I think we ha- I have to hire you to work on something. And he just heard that I knew how to put together sound. Like I, 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 I to me in this modern film composing, uh, a lot of it is producing, you know, of course. you write music, but then you have to make it sound like something. You have to choose instruments. You have to mix it. You have to bring it to life in the in the arrangement. And he heard that in my my reel. He didn't really know if I could do it to picture, but then he brought me in on Cold Case, and I started doing it. And he guided me, and it and it went well. Wow! And I worked on that show with him for four four seasons. That'll teach you how to score. Certainly, how to do TV, and out of Cold Case. I you mean, were you were connected then with Cliff Martinez, right? Well, that that was shortly um, after I started on Cold Case. I probably met Cliff around the same time. Michael introduced me to him, and um, several years before, you were asking about like, did film scores jump out at me? One of his did, you know, probably two thousand one, two thousand. The movie Traffic. Oh, brilliant great movie, yeah. Brilliant score, great score too. Brilliant. I'm like, I've never heard anything like this yeah. in a film before. Who is this guy? You know, and that's when I learned of Cliff and became a fan. I wonder if you worked on um, or were around Cliff. I did Solaris with him, which is, with all due respect, not a great movie, kind of a weird movie, but an amazing piece of music. I think that's a that's a universal opinion of it. Oh, good because yeah. I, I the filmmakers I really loved and the ambition of the movie I loved, but uh, it was tough. But Cliff's music, I think, not only is it one of the best parts of the movie, but it's one of those scores that gets licensed all the time, and you hear it in commercials and you hear it used in trailers because it's really interesting and signature. And what a great and interesting composer for you to kind of you know have an alliance with because that's a very um he's not traditional so he has his own way of scoring things so that's i i i totally agree and i thought solaris was amazing that combination of the orchestra and then there was that motif that kept reappearing that that sounded kind of electronic but turns out it was gamelan it was gamelan and then steel drums i mean just really uh really unique so i was um excited to meet cliff yeah. and um really excited when he said hey would you want to come work on something with me wow <laughs> and what was that and um there was a, there was a few films some kind of indie smaller films that he did um mm. 
I'm kind of drawing a blank now what it okay. was, but um, it was a good film. Drawing a blank. It's uh, a it's drawing a blank starring Page. Um, <laughs> right. Um, but what it what it did was I I got to step inside the Cliff Martinez musical mm. universe, yeah. and I felt very comfortable there because I was such a fan of what he did, and I you know had grown up doing electronic music and it just, it felt right. And so I was able to get inside his world and write music with him that I thought he would like. And it, and it went well. But I think what's, what's really huge and transitional is not everyone can make the move from just being a great programmer and synthesis and electronic person to actually embracing the art of film scoring, which is narrative and telling story. And I think, listen, I saw, uh, we're going to jump way ahead here in, in our conversation, but I watched another episode of Pose last night because I'm mm-hmm. really into the show and really into the music and thought, this is storytelling music, but it's a great evolution. I don't want to get ahead of ourselves because we have many shows in between where you suddenly your career just explodes with all these incredibly cool shows. But... There is a moment where maybe it was at Cliffs that the idea of telling story with music, which is very different from record making, did that sort of seep in? Was there a moment where you felt, oh, wait a minute, this is a different art form than making a record? Do you remember sort of feeling like a film composer for the first time? I'm not sure what that moment was, hmm. but yeah, I mean, it, it happened gradually. And it uh, it happens. It's it's very much in collaboration. So in, in that case, collaborating with Cliff. Yeah. And um, and he taught me a lot about that about about storytelling. And then of course he's collaborating with the director. And um, and and now still today I'm collaborating with producers and directors, yeah. helping them to tell their story. And and so they'll tell me what they what they want. I'll I'll give them. I'll try to give them that. I'll give them my ideas, and and at the end of the day, we end up with something that, that that does that that tells that tells the story. You're collaborating with two of the most interesting TV makers, producer directors currently out there: Sam Esmail, yes, and Ryan Murphy, both cosmically talented storytellers and shooters. Um, Sam really broke through with Mr. Robot. And what an interesting gig for you to get. Was it a competition to get the gig? Did Sam call you up and say, I love your stuff. Would you please score my show? Uh, it it happened. Um, I had just done my first season of American Horror Story, mm. which was season four Freak Show. And one of the editors uh was going to be a writer on Mr. Robot mm. wow. and, and had known Sam for years. Yep. Uh, Adam Penn is his name. And he uh, said, hey, uh, I'm going to be working on this show, and it's really a cool show. Sam wants to meet you. And so I went in for a meeting. Um, I saw the pilot episode, and they had tempted it with um, – a lot of different things, but there was a bunch of uh, Cliff Martinez music huh. in there. Nice. And there was actually some, some pieces that I had worked on with Cliff. So I was like in, I was sort of in there already. <laughs> That's amazing. Could you 
tell Sam, oh, by the way, this temp music, you know, I played on, I relate to, I'm kind of the guy. Yeah, totally. I was like, oh, that's a piece that I worked on with Cliff. So I think that helped. Yeah. And um, and then I did a demo. I mean, at, at the end of the meeting, he said, I think you're the guy. But if, yeah, go ahead and write, do, do this demo. Let's see what, what you do. What a perfect show for your background in electronic music. I mean, this show is internet you know it's 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 so digital and it it really speaks to what you came from um did you feel right at home with this show you think like from the get-go i did i did and it it uh was exciting because what sam wanted was an electronic score it it, it was going to be okay for it to sound electronic and be electronic and i i mentioned that because in other things I'd worked on, like for, like Cold Case, for instance, was we did it all with electronics, but but we get we get notes back. Oh, it sounds too electronic. Like it, kind of, it can't be oh, too so electronic. Yeah. And um, but with Mr. Robot, it's like it's an electronic score, and that and that was really exciting. Not only that, but the piece of music we just listened to is so interesting, textured, layered, dissonant, adventurous. And to have a producer say, "Yeah, that works." It's not that's not an easy piece of music, and to have them support that. What's interesting is you. There's that electronic thing, but I know you've also done. There's Versace. Yeah, the the, the cool thing about Versace, and I heard you in another interview describe it as, or, or it was presented to you as Giorgio Moroder and Silence of the Lambs. That was kind of the pitch that we were going for. Um, but, I, you know, full disclaimer, I mean, the the one sort of orchestral piece from Versace, uh, I, I wish I had written it. It's like a, it's a piece of classical music, right. which is credited mm. to um, an Italian composer, Albanoni. Yep. Yeah. It turns out they think his protege wrote it. Interesting, um, but it's a it's a beautiful piece, and I just did a new arrangement and, yeah. and recorded and it, it with strings. And sure, it, uh, and and how about in feud? Um, that's a lot of sort of dramatic Hollywood music. In a way. That that was that was an orchestral score, a period orchestral score, which was way outside of my wheelhouse. But I think one of the great skills of any composer is figuring out how to make what the producers need come to life, whether it's your wheelhouse or you have to collaborate. This is so cool. This was the main title. It was the first piece that I wrote um, for the show. And I'm usually writing to picture. This one I wrote without picture, just knowing that the main title would have to be 70 seconds long. <laughs> and um, It's classic Hollywood. It, yeah, I was going to say, I, classic is the word that comes out to me. It was, it was fun. It was an exciting new new thing. But also incredibly difficult for me. What, which part of it was difficult? I mean, it was just because it was so far outside the wheelhouse. It just was, uh, you know, sometimes I can just crank cues out on certain types of music. This was not, this was like, you know, toiling. Were you each note was <laughs> toiled you, over? Are you classically trained? It's uh, I, I just I have minimal classical training, not not a lot. So it's uh, I played in a high school orchestra. That helps. 
um, as a percussionist. Mm. So that's my deepest experience with with orchestra. But um, but yeah, my my classical training is is minimal. That one really has not only a classic Hollywood feel; it has a European feel, sort of a you know fifties European movie, which I really love. I was sitting in a cafe in Paris when I when I wrote that's that on my am- iPhone. Come on. <laughs> that's amazing. Cause Are you he, feeding him info? <laughs> I, that, that's just, I tell you, that makes me think of just teeing it sort up. of last tango in Paris meets some kind of a man and a woman. You know, there's a real European feel to it. Oh, that's, that's, See, good. that's good to it. hear. That's good to hear. But it's funny you mentioned the classical composers being intimidated by doing something electronic. And I, I've encountered that. I've had conversations with people where they're like, yeah, I don't know what to do. It's just so foreign, so weird. And the first time that I heard that someone said that, it seemed very strange to me because I, I just think of um, sort of the electronic music. Uh, I love it. I, I, I embrace it. I'm proud of it. But I, I kind of see it as this it's like not as trained. It's not as sophisticated as classical, and so that the you know the classical music, musicians and composers are looking at the electronic guys and going, oh, this guy's not real music. It's very, it's, it's, it's <laughs> silly. Exactly I could do it. this with my phone, you know. <laughs> and um, but instead, they're like, oh, I don't know how to how do you how do you do that? How do you get a synthesizer sound? So I think we should take a minute to to regroup. And then we come back. Let's talk about some of these new shows that are coming up. Yeah. We've got a couple great. Got pre- some new cues to yep, new premiums. break down here. Uh, yeah, much more with Matt Quayle. We'll take a break and we will come back. Hey, I'm Robert Kraft. I'm here with Kenny Holmes. Are you getting all that additional cool material that we have online for Score the Podcast? Kenny, where do they find it? Twitter, at Score the Podcast. Instagram, at Score Movie. Facebook, Score a Film Music Documentary. If you're not following, you're missing out. We have behind-the-scenes videos, and we do giveaways and sometimes we retweet Jordan Bieber. Oh, Jordan Bieber's there. BTS behind the scenes. Go check us out. Hi, this is Marco Beltrami. You're listening to Score the Podcast. And now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Score the Podcast. We're here with Mac Quayle. Inside the studio to be determined on name. <laughs> Have we come up with anything yet? I think it's Briar. Briar Studios. In Montana. And this <laughs> is the new horror story main title. The new. Brand new. Brand new from 1984. It's so cool. And it's kind of 84. Sounds, vibe, really authentic. Love it. And I understand why someone recognized how you produce. Because all of your cues and themes, really interesting production as well as writing. And super kind of recording production. So. Ooh. Oh, the tape machine that's lost power. Fantastic. <laughs> um, We're on a backup generator. We can keep going. Do you write a new theme for every season? Of AHS? No. Just no, they, they, after three years, they said, let's go again for four? Well, no, this is this is season nine. As I was saying, after after eight years, <laughs> they said, let's go again for nine? Um, they had a theme 
uh, starting in season one. Yeah. And that has been there for eight seasons. And there's been, there's been some refresh that's happened where mm-hmm. some new melodies and sounds have been layered on top of the original that pertain to the particular season. Um, but this year they wanted to do something. Yeah. It's, it, you know, it's, it's AHS 1984. They wanted to do something eighties. And, uh, so I, I, I took like this three notes of the baseline from the original. And then I just did something it's like an eight, almost like an eighties dance track. Is this something that's going to live with the show now moving forward if it continues, or is this a special season time period thing? I think it'll, yeah, it'll have this one season, and then who knows what. I think the season 10 is is on the books. I don't know what that is and what the theme will be. Did you drag out some 80 synths? I mean, I'm looking at your synth lineup here, and I see a couple that are genuine articles of that era i don't know if you use them or uh you just design sounds that were kind of 80s yeah i did um and a theremin I, I was i was on a really tight deadline to do this and the plugins are so much faster of course so i so i used some 80s plugins yeah that were meant to be 80s synths but that bass sound <laughs> that bass sound that comes in is so kind of Quincy Bruce Wadeen, 1980s dance track. Uh, it says it instantly. So um, was that the first show you did with Ryan Murphy? It was Horror Story. Yeah. Season four. And did you know at that point that he was going to become Ryan Murphy? I guess he'd done Glee. He was he was Ryan Murphy. Um, he maybe wasn't in all bold lettering yeah. <laughs> as he is now. Um, but, um, yeah, cause he'd had Glee, he'd had, uh, three seasons of horror story. He'd had Nip Tuck. Oh, Nip Tuck. That's he just, right. The, the normal heart HBO film. Right. Um, I didn't realize you didn't start horror story. You came in in season four. Right. Right. And, um, yeah, it was one of those calls that you usually never get I, you know a life-changing phone call that one of his producers called me and said hey we're we're gonna go in a different direction on american horror story this season um by any chance could you write a piece of music this afternoon love that and th- was I, this coming off of your mr robot success or mr what? robot was yet to was it wasn't out yet so what was the what was what did they hear or what did they see that uh, drew them to the you? Latin rascals. Yeah, the Latin <laughs> rascals. Yeah. Um, it was, I had worked on um, the normal heart. Nice. Ryan directed film. Uh, I had worked on it with Cliff. Oh, wow. And um, so, yeah, like six months later out of the blue, I get this call from the producer. Did you I, have any plans that afternoon that you had to cancel? I, I didn't. That's I didn't. the right answer. The, the universe had, uh, had a hole in my schedule. God, you're lucky so. you picked up that phone call. So I wrote, I wrote a piece. Um, they sent me some, they sent me some video. I wrote a piece. I sent it in. Um, they liked it. They had a couple of notes and I, I addressed the notes and, and, and sent it back. They said, we love it. We're going to, we're going to play it for Ryan in the morning. Um, so the next morning I get another call and, and they basically just say, um, 
can I speak to the new composer of American Horror Story? Oh, yeah. Less than 24 hours later. Love that. Crazy. Cancel your rumble lessons <laughs> for the rest of the week. <laughs> You're getting busy. And uh, and then that was it. That was like five years ago. Was Would you call that like the defining moment, like taking the next step? That was it. Yeah, for sure. That was when the rocket blasted off. Right. That must be it because Mr. Robot comes next, but then you start doing a lot of Ryan shows. Well, <clears throat> a year after that, um, we're now in... 2015 fall of 2015 um i now have four shows and um it was it was overwhelming i mean there was literally a a week where i just i you know i spent some time on the floor in my closet like weeping because i was freak i was freaked out i do I mean, that it was like pretty too much. much most most days i start <laughs> that way so i'm used to that um and I'm, I'm like, okay, I can't, I can't do this. I'm gonna have to call him back and tell him, I can't, I can't take that last show. Did somebody? <laughs> people talk. You? They, they talk me off. Yeah. That, yeah, they said you're gonna be okay. You gotta get, you know, you gotta put your team together. You gotta, it's gonna be all right. And did you already have a team at that point? I mean, I had, I had some help. I had an assistant, and I had, um, like maybe one additional composer. Because we've had discussions, I think it was Bear McCreary that was saying like it. It took him a long time to finally decide to like trust other people in his projects and bring a team on to take that next step. Because you reach a point where you just don't have enough time in the day to do everything. Was that was that around that time when you? I mean, it, it was dawning on me that it was going to be really important to have the help that that I needed, and um, so I slowly began working with more people and and I, I made it through that couple of weeks where it was it was crazy. I mean there was I think I was signed on to four shows. It was like a two week period when all four were going. Were they all and Ryan's? Then one dropped off. Were they all Ryan shows? One, one was was Robot. Right. And, and then sure. three Ryan I guess it was Horror Story Scream Queens. Right on. And People versus O. J. Simpson. Mm. Oh man. So um, somehow I made it through. It's intense. Um, They're all high profile. I don't blame you for getting in that closet and weeping. That's that's a lot of pressure. I think the great part is that you figured it out. But I also know, you know, this is the quality problem that everyone hopes for. What if I had everything working out and going full bore and my creativity was at a peak? It happens and you think, I can't. I can't do this, but you got through it and look what happened. I mean, nailed it. So I wonder with, with uh, crime American crime story, these series, because they're kind of biopics as opposed to fiction, does that change your approach? Do you do like more research into the era or is there anything different about the process because it's a true story being recreated? I mean, not really. Not really. I mean, there, there's all these conversations with um, Ryan and his team initially as we as we try to come up with ideas for what the sound will be, and some of that is in informed by the period. Um, but but no, it, it's it really it's it's just the same role, just telling telling a story. And the fact that it's true didn't didn't really have have an effect. And and what you know in those two, you mentioned those two. Um, shows the Versace and, and the OJ it was especially with the OJ 
the, the performances were so strong in that that the score didn't have to do too much and we were just we uh, the initial pieces were really pushing the move pushing it and, and we realized too much we don't need that so the score ended up being very subtle and less music and it just kind of got out of the way of these fantastic performances kind of cool that you're living in LA doing this OJ show did you take any trips down the 405 <laughs> in a white blazer <laughs> Bronco a Bronco as I was saying a white Bronco I did I wrote all the music actually in a Bronco oh that's so funny <laughs> So I was in New York when it was all happening, and um, you mean when OJ was when OJ, yeah, when that was. I was going to ask you where you were. That's you? a beautiful cue. It has either like, it's hard to tell because it sounds so good, real strings or synth strings, but it sounds orchestral and electronic. No real strings were harmed in the making of. Good because <laughs> it sounds very uh, authentic, but that is what gives it its epic quality. Um, it's pretty amazing. That's. That's one of your shows because it was so good. And you also said something that is a composer's dream. When the performances are great or the story is great, boy, the heavy lifting is not on you. And the opposite is true. When it's kind of a stinker, they turn to the composer and say, "Um, can you make this funnier or scarier? Or can you make this character not seem so leaden in their performance? So you're lucky to have that great material in front of you it brings me to one of my favorite new shows and a question about ryan murphy which is ryan has been involved in some incredible musical series not the least of which glee and pose i don't know i know brad falchuk a little bit who works on all these shows with his partner um does Ryan have specific musical ideas for you? Does he give you a lot of freedom? Does he say, here's exactly what I need you to do? Um, he's, he's a big picture guy when it comes to music. Mm. You know, he'll, he will maybe uh, offer just one big idea and then I'll run with that. And uh, I mean, for Pose, it was, it was that it takes place in New York in 1987. That's your zone. Needs to be you were a there. synth score, an 80s synth score. Like, that's what he wanted. Wasn't that the year you started producing music? Well, it was... Coincidentally. Um, <laughs> that's kind of perfect. You've really captured the sound of that moment. And, um, I mean, it's just... This could be a pop hit from the <laughs> that minute. You really expect... Madonna to start singing and um, there's a lot of source music in this show too yeah yes in fact it's mostly and and you know this piece that you're playing uh, I get to do a few in this vein but most of the funky dance stuff was actual source you know of the era and and the score that I was writing was more the heart of the sort of the heart of the show. It was for the emotional interplay between the characters. Do you get involved in the production of some of the original, you know, there's some original songs kind of thing and original moments that are uh, not necessarily well-known needle drops. And are you involved in any of that? 
I'm not. I, I get credited all the time. Fabulous. It, Take fu- it. It's funny. We're in Hollywood. Uh, and it shows how uh, what we do as composers, you know, we're in the industry. We know film and TV music. And so, of course, we know what composers do. But the public, most of them don't really like, oh, you write music for that show? I love that song that was playing. In the- <laughs> yeah, of course. You no. wrote Boogie Oogie Oogie. Yeah. Um, or they th- oh, you, you pick the best songs for that show. Sure. And I'm like, well, thank you, but I didn't have anything to do with them. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, Amanda is the music supervisor. Yes. Yeah. Fantastic show. Super unique and interesting show. I mean, a really stunningly contemporary and... Yeah, as, a- as diverse as your scores are for all these Ryan Murphy shows, he's creating such diverse shows too just different styles um and of course you have the politician which just came out what was the initial idea what was the sound that ryan what was his big idea well that the music needed to be fun but not light Mm. not comedy um, for someone who hasn't seen the show, what how would you describe it just so we can get a vibe when we play this cue? Well, so, you know, the story is that there's a, <clears throat> a high school senior uh, in Santa Barbara who's very ambitious to be a politician. Like that's that's sort of the basic premise. And the the characters in the show, they're very wealthy. And um, Ryan was quoted recently saying oh it's it's like rich people behaving badly <laughs> sounds like a combination of election the reese witherspoon movie and succession there's there's some of that yep and uh succession. I, it reminds me a little of scream queens mm. not there's no horror or anything but um so we have we're, we're in santa barbara there's a lot of young rich white people basically and so like what is their sound if someone were to tell you or to ask you like what's the sound of is it contemporary young, young rich white people in Santa Barbara <laughs> it's Co- contemporary yeah yeah we were scratching our heads we yeah. didn't really we tried a, a, a variety of things nothing was quite working and then we thought okay let's let's not necessarily score the sound for the people but place nice and so the idea then became that we would sprinkle a little bit of a spanish flavor Mm. for santa barbara of course into the music and it doesn't necessarily work on paper but then we we tried it and all of a sudden we knew we had it and i think uh, this piece of a wonderful boy wonderful boy is, is where we knew we had the we had the sound Works for me. Ooh, Ooh, there you go. I'm picturing downtown Santa Barbara right now. I'm picturing the mission in Santa Barbara with the kind of beautiful mariachi trumpet feel. Chris Tedesco, fantastic player. Yeah, that's so great. Recording at Briar Studios. Um, Briar Studios didn't exist yet. Okay. And he recorded in his own studio. Fabulous. The modern technology wonder. Is that a main theme or just a cue? 
Um, it's a it's a pretty main theme. It gets used in a lot of different ways throughout the so. throughout the show, the series, and it just um, after all this searching, once we came up with this, we were like, okay, I think this is That's this great. is the sound. And unlike a lot of the projects that I've worked on, the palette of the show, it's almost all in that piece and I'm pointing to the mixer because it's right here in the mixer um, <laughs> nylon string guitar upright bass trumpet piano percussion some strings and that just that's pretty much you know maybe there was an accordion I love and that. that and that's it that's the palette this it's is a little the other bit. cue you get now this is more overtly Spanish yeah flamenco, flamenco. yeah this sounds like there's going to be a showdown. This was um, one of the early scenes that were introduced to Jessica Lange's character. And she, like, barges into this hospital room, and it's just a flurry of like, crazy passion. And it just was like a flamenco dancer. Oh, <laughs> like, that's great. This was a, this was a fun one to, to do, and it oddly worked well for what was happening in the scene that's so interesting and also what we've heard today is you get to write music in so many different arenas i mean the pose music and the american horror story music and this they're all it'd be hard to tell they're the same composer because it's a lot of imagination going on. I think before we wrap it up, we got to know, are you going to make any more records? It's now many decades later, and uh, dance music couldn't be bigger right now. Is there a Matt Quayle? Is there a, a Yeah, will a we Briar see a Coachella Studios? soon? Yeah, man, love that. Okay, I'm just going to put it out here. Here we go. The intention. I think and we're going to... So, you know, I've been performing... Uh, the Mr. Robot score live. That's right. Yeah, and uh, there's been a number of performances. A couple here. Uh, did it in Malaga, Spain, at the festival there. Fantastic. Nice. And the the last one was at the Roxy in Hollywood. Oh, that's cool. And so um, I think it's the perfect uh, act to perform at Coachella. Paul Tillet, Golden Voice. <laughs> Today we announce. So I, I think, Saturday's yeah. headliner next April. Yeah, maybe headliner is aiming a little high, but um, <laughs> you know, a nice stage when the sun is down. I think would be well. And then you have Rami Malek come out and do a little Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, tag you, team. You know it. what? I like it. So would it be when you say performing? Is it to picture? Um, would it be just the music? They do have screens. I mean, the show. Yeah, they have a lot of screens. The shows that I've done so far haven't really been too picture. I've I've incorporated some images from the show, um, in a couple of pieces. Okay, but um, that yeah. I mean, I feel like I've only really scratched the surface of the potential of it. You know, it's it's evolved each show, and the production has gotten better. And the the last show had um myself and another keyboard player a drummer and a guitar player and then projections my instinct is you should you should get your publicist to promote the idea of <laughs> mr robot at coachella she's turning red um or someone should bring that idea to golden voice because 
Do you know that people would, the right size tent, I mean, Sahara, Mojave, Gobi, one of the dance tents, I think you'd get a crowd I mean, for if that. you ask me, there should be a, a film and TV music tent. Done. At We're going to do it. Good idea. We have I mean, several good ideas here today. The Hans Zimmer experiment was more than successful. I think so. Score the tent. I don't even <laughs> I don't even remember who the other headliners were, but that that Hans Zimmer at Coachella blew up and I I just feel like that would do so well. I mean, people are binging everything and it's it's part of the culture of these I think it's a great idea. I'm going to take it. I'm going to say that I thought of it and And we'll uh, be backstage rooting you on. I and, mean, right? And I think to tie things up, we can put some little advertising slogans on the back of our cans of burp. <laughs> uh, let's say hear Mr. Robot live at Coachella. I would go with Matt Quayle. Are you doing any other uh, Mr. Rob Robot or any concerts? Mr. Robert. Mr. Robert. <laughs> Mr. Robert. That's the spinoff. Robert the Fourteenth. <laughs> <laughs> it's Mr. Robot's uh, brother. Yeah, <laughs> Mr. Robert. Um, there's nothing scheduled, and um, but please I, let us. I, know. I want. I really want to do more. I I love performing, and um, it is challenging to fit it into the the production schedule of scoring all these projects. So well, we want to send you back to into that little funky room where you weep. I was going to say your schedule's booked. You got closets live, in the morning, live and then performing, working all night. Because you could do not only the Mister Robot show, but the Pose show would be. Killing, have the House of Evangelista or the House of Abundance <laughs> put on a show. And if you are a fan of the show Pose, you will know exactly what I'm talking about and send in your yes, Matt Quayle, please do that show to score the podcast. And <laughs> what a great conversation we've had. I'm going to say it myself. I got to talk about my favorite new shows on TV. Let me know when that Coachella announcement comes out and we'll. we'll we just we'll made it. it. We'll tweet it. I think we're done. Should we start a petition right now? It just started. All right. Sign it. Live <laughs> at Coachella. Uh, Mac, thank you so much for coming on the show. My pleasure. Uh, despite all of the madness in your life, you made time for us. We really appreciate it. And we want to remind our listeners to rate and review, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, and also uh, follow us on Twitter at ScoreThePodcast. And stick around after the ending of the show. We're going to play you a little cue from Spitfire Audio so you can hear how to elevate your music. I think that I'm thinking of new shows, either Mr. Pose, kind of a combo, American Robot Story. I'm working on some things. I'm going to go to Ryan Murphy and say... American Robert. American Robert Story. <laughs> yeah, this could be fun. Stick with us. We have a lot of ideas. We'll see you next week on Score the Podcast. Hey, SCORE listeners, we are so lucky to have Spitfire as our presenting partner every week. They are a perfect partner for our show because yeah. they provide so many cool sounds for so many cool movies and TV shows. So, uh, And so I, many composers using this stuff. A lot of composers. Composer Carol. Composer Carol. Composer Carol's here. She uses it. And uh, we're going to play you this week's Spitfire Q. They send us one every week. And this is produced by... Uh, one of these packages that they have available at SpitfireAudio.com. That you can own today. And isn't there a score deal that we give out, Kenny? Uh I think you know the answer to that. I think it's a third off, which is... One third? 
That can't be. I've seen some other deals. How are they recently. making any money? I, I think they're just so excited to have score listeners be using Spitfire. They say, we would love to have you aboard the Spitfire <laughs> train. Use the promo code SCORE, save a third off, and check out this queue. You can get all sorts of different sounds like the ones you just heard. Go to SpitfireAudio.com, use the promo code SCORE, save a third off, and we will see you next week. Next week. Can't wait. See ya.